Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey and joining us, Mel. Hey. Mel, for your final episode. I know, Davey, this is, is so bittersweet. Podcast. <laughs> Mostly know. just bitter, I think. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if there's <laughs> the anything sweetness sweet will come. about it. <laughs> it will yeah. come. Absolutely. We were just talking about the fact that when you create space in your life and for God to to move you and to show up because you feel like it's an obedience thing, then it always, it doesn't it doesn't seem fun at the time, but but there's always on the other end of that side of obedience blessing that is sweet, and he begins to show up in that. And so we've been talking about this over the past couple of outros that yeah, been looking looking forward to, but not looking forward to your uh, departure from being the uh, the co-host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. And we're super excited for the McIsaac family and all the different things that are coming down the pike for you guys in 2020, although it it makes us really sad as well. And I know, yeah. I know all of the Nothing Is Wasted community as well. Um, but I'd love to spend some time. I want you to just share your heart. I want you to talk a little bit about kind of some things that that you guys are feeling God leading you to. And you've already had so much transition over the past year with stepping into leading this church. And But, um, you know, when you came to me about this, I was like super excited and thrilled for the stuff that God's putting on your heart. So why don't you share that with our, our listeners? Yeah, I'd love to. So, um, yeah, so Charlie is the lead pastor of um, the journey in Met- at Metro East. And and with that has just led to some opportunities where um, I've got the privilege to um, co-lead our women's ministry at our church. And so um, discipling women is just in my spiritual DNA. It is mm-hmm. what I love to do. It's what I thrive doing. And so um, in this next season, I will really be focusing on um, discipling women again and just helping women in our church continue to um, love the Word of God and give mm-hmm. their lives away, whether it's in their singleness or to their families or um, in, in various contexts. And so that's something that um, the Lord is is moving me towards um, in, a, in more capacity. Um, one of the things that Charlie and I are really praying for, we have been um, connected to a mom in our area that um, is just in some great need. She has um, a three-year-old son. She's pregnant with twins and um, she's just, she's had a hard life. She has a hard life yeah. and um, the Lord has just really put her on our hearts. And so um, right now, Charlie and I um, just feel the call to make space in our hearts and in our home to um, it, to potentially foster um, mm. maybe her son or somebody else's child. Um, and so that is, that's a huge desire of ours. We know that biologically, we probably don't have any more children, um, mm. even though we love children, we feel like God um, is probably calling us to invite um, others, especially siblings. We have a yeah. really big desire to um, see siblings um, come together into our home. Um, but also like with the foster care, we really desire for um, reunification. And so mm. um, so we want to not only make room in our hearts, but even in our home, we've been looking for homes that are a little bit bigger and could accommodate um, 
siblings. Um, and that kind of, I'm just like, what could that even look like if I had like five children, like in my mother hen, you know? I know right? um, uh, so anyway, but that get, it gets me really excited to see um, who the Lord could bring into our home. And, and everything I hear about foster care is it changes you more than it ever would change yeah. the child that comes into your home. So it's, mm. it's humbling. And I feel like we are like uh, cautiously entering this season, but also rejoicing and excited. Right. And, and we really feel like we really feel called, like we've had a heart for the foster care, um, for years. It's yeah. one of the main ministries that we support financially, prayerfully. Um, Charlie just spent all last Saturday volunteering, mm. um, for the Christmas party for hundreds of foster kids in the area. And so, yeah, we love it. Um, wow. and just, and I think obviously, you know, like my main ministry is just my, my, my husband and my children. And so, um, when I came to you and I told you, I, I think <laughs> the Lord's calling me away from this and calling me, um, to, um, just to have more margin and to be able to just have, uh, yeah, just to be able to be all there and more focused yeah. on my children and, uh, kind of free up some mental RAM, um, in my own mind. Mm -hmm. So, well, and that's the thing I think, I think so often we miss the thing that God has for us because we, uh, we hang on to the good things in our life, but they're not the God things. Yeah. And that's probably one of the hardest delineations is to go, well, I've got a lot of great things in my life right now. I'm full. Yeah. My life feels full. The problem with our life being full is that it sometimes means there's not enough space for God to lead us into the next thing that He wants to do in us. And He's always doing a new thing. He's always doing a new thing. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, so often we miss this idea that God is a seasonal God and He works in seasons and those that season is right and perfect and good for that season. But if we hang on to that season, because in our human nature, we don't like change or we want to stay in the comfortable because we know this season, we're, we're used to this season, we're, we're accustomed to the rhythms of it, right? Then, then we miss out on the next thing and the new thing that God wants to do in our lives. And uh, yeah. it's a tough, it's such a tough tension to create that space. I, mean, I admire your courage, first of all, to just go, God, what are the things that we're going to have to like let go of in this next season to create space for the opportunities that you have for us, even though we don't exactly know what that is? Yeah, you're so right. And I think that that's why it was so hard to initially tell you, like when you asked me to pray about this, like almost a year ago, um, I, it was very humbling. And I was just like, are you sure you have the right person? Like, did you call the right number? <laughs> and so, but I, after praying with Charlie, like I felt like, okay, God is calling us calling me to do this alongside the nothing is wasted ministry. And, and since I've got, you know, I obviously have loved Christy for 15 mm -hmm. years and, um, I've gotten to know you and, um, Taylor, who's the producer and Tommy, mm -hmm. who's like our silent, but amazing tech <laughs> guy, you know, um, it's like, I, you, the nothing is wasted is really like a family. And, uh, it's like, you don't want to leave that family. And yeah. not that I won't, I'm not going to, I'm always going to be a member of the family, right. but I just won't, our lives won't rub up as much as they have, um, over the last year. And yeah. so, um, and I just love what the nothing is wasted ministry is doing. Like I'm so sold out for, um, mm. just how you guys, how we are, um, interviewing people, meeting people and, um, how they are using their lives to glorify God, um, despite the adversity that they've experienced. And so this is the thing that was so hard is that this ministry has brought me so much life mm. and so fun to be a part of that. It really felt like a death. And so, mm. 
Anyway, I'm going to start crying, so I'm just going to give it to you because I'm an Enneagram 8, and I don't do this, you know? Oh, no. (laughs) Well, we love you. We love your family. Um, We have thoroughly enjoyed our lives rubbing up against each other over this past year. Um, And, you know, I think that this is is so reminiscent of in Scripture when Paul writes these letters because he goes and plants churches in these areas, and then you'll, you'll notice this. It's kind of in the footnotes of the letters if you go and read the epistles. Um, that, that he'll begin to say like, Hey, make sure you tell so-and-so hello for me and, and make sure that so-and-so, you know, is doing well and make sure that, and then he oftentimes says, Hey, I really want to be there with you to do ministry with you the way that we did ministry together in the past. And you got to remember for Paul to start these churches, it, it was probably a couple year process. I mean, if you've ever planted a church to get a church established, it takes a year or two. So Paul's in the trenches with these people going through the, the hardest, most difficult, uh, valleys, as well as some of the most amazing mm-hmm. victories, seeing these churches get rooted. And then he's got to go and he's leaving to do this other thing that God calls him to do. And he has to create space in his life to do it. And so he writes saying, man, I can't, I want, I long to do ministry with you guys, but God's calling me to this. And I think what's so cool is when we can keep a kingdom perspective and, and I would encourage every pastor, every ministry leader, everybody that when people come to you and say, hey, I think my time's done here because I think God's calling me to something else, to always hold things in an open yeah. hand because yeah, you exactly. don't want to limit what God wants to do in that person's life or limit what God wants to do in your life by hanging on to things and trying to keep things comfortable and in control. And so, you know, Mel, we we just have loved being able to do that. We're going to, we're so sad that that's not, you know, that's not going to be what the next season looks like. Mm-hmm. And I know the whole Nothing is Wasted community is sad. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people just, you know, over the top talk about the wisdom that you have contributed to this and the the hope and the um, just your your words and the way that you're able to express them and the experience that you have as as a mom, as someone who's in ministry and and helping other people, just what you've brought, the value you've brought to this. And so we want to thank you for everything that you have done uh, to bring bring so much to the table well, thank with you, the Nothing Davey. Is Wasted podcast. Thank you. It is so reciprocal. You know, I love your family and all of the Nothing Is Wasted family and listeners. And it, it really has been such a privilege to be a part this past year. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I'm very excited about is uh, to go out with a bang as far as <laughs> who is on the show today, oh, man. It's John so good. O'Leary. Yes. Um, he is, has to be one of the most passionate and on fire um, for Christ <laughs> men that we've interviewed. Irony you know? that you said that, which is, uh, I think you can say that, Mel, because because that's his ministry. His ministry is called John O'Leary on Fire. But yeah. this is his story. His story is that he literally did, uh, he, he, he had a fire wound. He was caught in a fire at nine years old. And I was thinking the same exact thing as we're, I'm like, this guy is so on fire. And then I'm like, wait a minute, can I say that? And I was like, oh, no, he says it. Yeah, that's his ministry. Exactly. And he is, that's what he's done. He's used this terrible thing that has happened in his life and this thing that could cause people to kind of be like walk on eggshells, tiptoe around. And he's flipped it around. He said, no, 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 no. Let me show you what this has done spiritually to light my world on fire and help other people come alive as well. Uh, this guy's amazing. He's yeah, unreal. He really is. And, um, Well, one thing, as I was listening to him speak, we just came out of a series where we talked about how to uh, meet people where they are in their grief, Mm -hmm. whether it's your spouse or your child or your friend or a stranger. And um, one thing that I think we always want to equip our listeners to do is um, just resources of how 
where to go to when you're in pain or how to walk through it. And um, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, Davey, but for me personally, it is poetry. Mm. Um, I love poetry. One of my favorite poets is Martha Snell Nicholson. She's very dead. Um, but she was an invalid <laughs> for 35 years uh, and she had four ailments that left her bedridden. And, uh, during that time she spent her time either praying for the nations or writing poetry. And, wow. um, because she has, um, had such reoccurring suffering as John, who will listen to, um, his story soon. Um, I thought it might be good to just share this poem that oh, has absolutely. meant so much to me throughout the years. It's called Guest by Martha Snell Nicholson. And this is the poem. It says, Pain knocked upon my door and said that she had come to stay. And though I would not welcome her, but bade her go away. She entered in like my own shade. She followed after me. And from her stabbing, stinging sword, no moment was I free. And then one day, another knocked most gently at my door. I cried, no pain is living here. There is no room for more. And then I heard his tender voice, tis I, be not afraid. And from the day he entered in, the difference it made. For though he did not bid her leave, my strange unwelcome guest, he taught me how to live with her. Oh, I had never guessed that we could dwell so sweetly here, my Lord and pain and I, within this fragile house of clay, while years slip slowly by. Mm. Wow. You're going to need to send that poem to me, Mel, because that, that is rich. That's unbelievable. That's a man. So good. In fact, I think we, we should probably put that up on this episode's uh, page because yeah. so that way people can reference it. So I'm giving Taylor the nod right now. She's going to make sure that we put this <laughs> up on the page so that people can reference that poem. But you know, this interview with John O'Leary, unbelievable interview. Uh, you guys are going to thoroughly enjoy it. Before you go to the interview, press pause real quick. Go and rate review us on, on iTunes. It helps significantly. Um, if this ministry has blessed you, uh, if Mel has blessed you, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> let us know by rating and reviewing and give her a shout out on that. And uh, and also uh, mention us as you're listening to this on Instagram. At, at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries is our Instagram handle. So make sure you give us a shout out and we'd love to kind of forward that over. But uh, let's jump into this interview that I have with John O'Leary. John, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me, man. Davey, I am a huge fan and honored to be on your show. So thank you, brother. Oh, man. Well, I'm honored. I'm flattered. I've gotten to kind of watch you from a distance since our good friend Chris Norton connected us. And, um, man, it's just an inspiring thing to watch your life and to watch what God has done out of some hardship and some tragedy and also done out of some mountaintop experiences that you're going through as well. And so I'm just so grateful that God's using you. You're allowing him to use you. And, and what the listener needs to know, I can just tell in the first 10 minutes that we have had interaction, that there is just hope and light and there's, and there's so much exuding from you. So I'm excited for our listener to just hear a little bit about your life. Would you tell us, just start out, tell us a little bit about you current day. What, what do you do? Yeah. Tell me about your family. Kind of give us a context for John O'Leary. So John O'Leary is the luckiest, most blessed guy in any room that he walks into. Mm. And uh, I, I think we all have a story. So we will eventually talk about my story and some of the struggles I faced and face. But the fact that I'm here is miraculous. Mm. And I, I know that. And I, I hope that your listeners realize that same truth plays for them. 
like your very life yeah. is nothing short of a shocking miracle. Mm. And so we are in the game. We are here. We have breath in our lungs and we ought to be grateful. And I start off each of my days looking to the east, watching the sun rise, mm. grateful to God for the gift of this day. It's the day that he made. And then I get up and I get after it. And I usually look to my left and there's a beautiful brunette with brown <laughs> eyes and a beautiful face. And their eyes are normally shut when I'm getting out of bed. Mm. But when I see her again, she is up and alive and active. Her name is Elizabeth Grace. She has given me four babies. We live in the Midwest in St. Louis, Missouri. Mm. We have a golden retriever. We have an awesome life. We have faith. We have one another. And uh, the foundation of our, of our life is firm. That doesn't make the days easy. Yeah. But the foundation of what we do as a couple it's firm, man. So uh, we can talk about what I'm doing professionally, but it's for me, it starts with faith and it starts at home. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about people who are really, I feel like making a kingdom impact is that um, it's it's that fact right there that, you know, it's the Matthew 7, the wise man builds his house on the rock, on the words of Jesus. And even when the storms come and hit, it, it their house does not fall. And so, you know, you're a living example of that. And before we even dive into your story, I love what you just said, that really the foundation is your is your health in your family. And out of that, it's like out of the overflow of that, you're able to do right. all of this ministry. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because I think there's a lot of you know, guys and gals who have these ambitions of going and, you know, standing on the platforms that you stand on, speaking to the, you know, thousands of people, but but they're neglecting maybe some things at home, whether it be a, you know, they're older, they have a family, or whether it be they're single and they've got some right. character issues that they've got. Can you just speak to that for a little bit? Sure. So I'm going to back into it a little bit before I, today I'm a podcast host, I'm an author, I'm a speaker, and I do some other things professionally. Before we got into all of those things, though, I was a hospital chaplain. And I spent oh, wow. three years hanging out with kids and, and, and training for that. I got to hang out with adults who were dying typically of heart conditions. Wow. So various things going on there. And I'll never forget the visit one time, Davey, meeting with a guy who um, it was like a concrete room. It was all gray walls, mm. gray floor, and the lights were off. I walked in, clearly dying, uh, got to know him a little bit, got to visit with him a little bit, got to love him a little bit. And as I learned his story, he shared that, John, I was a business owner. I was incredibly successful. Mm. He went through what he did. He went through then how he did it so well that he lost his marriage. Because of that, he turned to alcohol. He turned to other addictions, including smoking, which they, they now say it led to this condition that he now had. Mm. He said, uh, John, I climbed to the tippity top of the ladder. And as I got to the last rung, I realized that the wall I was climbing, the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. Wow. And I heard that as like a 25-year-old guy. And it just stayed with me. I'm 42 today. But I, I made a decision as a 25, 26-year-old kid. I would not lean my ladder against the wrong wall. Wow. And I, I'm just not going to do it. And so, yes, I have grown a little bit professionally and I do travel a bit professionally. And I do all that I do, though, professionally in order to better support my wife mm. as her husband, my kids as their dad, my parents as their son. Now, sometimes that means you got to get on the road. Sometimes that means you got to roll up your sleeves and mm. work long hours. But I don't do it for the work. I don't do it for the ego. I don't do it for the money. We do it for the kingdom, and we start building the kingdom at home. Wow. That's all. So it, toward the end of this conversation, I want to get back to that right there because I know that I'm curious about so much of what you just talked about, especially in regards to the balance of and the tension of you know being on the road, being at home. How do you manage all of that stuff? But... I feel like that the listener needs a little bit of context as well, kind of from your story. So let's 
hit pause on that part of the conversation. Let's kind of jump back to the early parts of your life. Uh, you, one of the things you talk about a lot and one of the things you get on stage and you, you speak about a lot is this thing that happened to you when you were nine years old. Um, yes. Walk me through that, uh, that day, that tragedy, and um, some of the after effects of that. Yeah, honored to do, to do it. And I'll kind of slow play it and you ask any questions around okay. if you'd like. But uh, growing up in the Midwest, I had witnessed little boys in my neighborhood, Davey, playing with fire and gasoline. Mm. Kind of common practice, at least in the Midwest. I know you're in Indianapolis yeah. today. <laughs> I figured if these boys could do it, so could I. And, and you know, monkey see, monkey do. We got to be very careful. A couple things, listeners. Number one, who we hang out with will influence how we show up. Mm. So if you are hanging out with trash, this is not a knock against trash, but you're going to start showing up yourself as that. If you come in wow. as the greatest cynic in the room and that's who you're hanging out with, you will believe that that is the worldview we, we all should view life through. Wow. If you are only listening to negative garbage news every day on your way into work, it should not surprise you when you walk in with a bad attitude. Mm. So what we hang out with, who we hang out with will influence how we show up. It's one of the reasons why I love the fact that folks are checking out your podcast, Davey, because it, it really does matter. Yeah. What we listen to and who we hang out with will influence who we become. That's right. Wow. And secondly, people are watching you, Christian, mm. leader, seeker, believer, dad, son, daughter. Like they're watching. Whether you are in sixth grade, because that's who I was watching, or dads or business executives or whoever mm. it might be paying attention today, like they're watching you at work and also in the grocery store and just about everywhere in between and in a marketplace of plenty of lousy examples, we have an opportunity moment by moment to give them another view, Yeah, to give them an opportunity to see what is possible in their lives and the way we interact with one another and the way we serve as our brothers and sisters keeper. It's a big deal. Wow. And I just encourage you guys to like really own that regardless of the storm you're weathering today. That's so good. Because people are watching. Uh, you know, John, one of the things I think people don't realize is that we are always, no matter if we feel like we have some kind of a leadership gift, we're always leading people somewhere. Right. We're influencing people. So I was reading in John 21 just the other day, prepping for some sermon stuff at our church. And it was, it was Peter, after the resurrection, he goes and he, he goes to the, several of the disciples. He goes, hey, I'm going to go fishing. <laughs> and after his life should have been completely changed, he goes back to fishing, what Jesus called him out of. And it just kind of stood out to me. Wait a minute, Peter... <laughs> He didn't think he was having like leadership influence right there, but he was leading the disciples somewhere back into this lifestyle that Jesus had already called them out of. And so it just, it just dawned on me, we're all leading people somewhere. We're no all leading it. people somewhere. So just to kind of affirm what you're saying right there, whether, whether you think that you're just kind of in the crevices and the shadows and you're not being seen, people are watching. That's so good. Mm -hmm. Well, indeed, it, it is good what you're sharing. And uh, I was following people off the cliff. Mm. And I think we got to be mindful. We want to lead people toward the kingdom, toward the mountaintop experience, not off some cliff. So on a Saturday morning, back to your question, I came over to a can of gasoline, one of those old red metal five-gallon containers, totally filled with gasoline. I bent down next to it, lit a piece of cardboard on fire. And in my own little mind, I thought I was going to pour a little bit of gasoline on top of this flame to see what might happen, thinking it would just spark mm. like I'd seen the other boys doing. And as I tipped this container, Davey, before the liquid even came out, the fumes, right? Mm. <laughs> we could play on this one for a whole podcast. In life, it's not liquid that burns. It's almost always fumes. Wow. It's not what you see coming. It's what you don't. Uh, wow. So that day, I, I never saw this coming. The fumes came out of that can, created a huge explosion, split the can in two, and then it launches me 20 feet 
against the far side of the garage. It, it set my world on fire. Wow. Everything around me is a flame. And, you know, as little kids, we all were taught and trained what to do when we're on fire. Mm. Right? Stop, drop and roll. Mm-hmm. And then the thing happens and you don't do it. Yeah. And I, I think whether you go to church or you're going to marriage counseling or you go to leadership training or whatever the deal is, we train in our heads. Mm. And that's a dangerous place to do training if that's where it only lives. Our job in every area that you want to do important training is not only head knowledge, but heart. It's got to be both. It's not either or, it's yes and. And for me as a kid, it was all head knowledge, including my faith walk candidly. It was all head knowledge. And so that day I panicked. I ran for my life. I came through the flames, run back into the house, stood on top of a rug, just screaming for a hero. And my 17-year-old brother, Jim, who had really done nothing kind for me up until that point in either of our lives, Hmm. changes. (laughs) He he picks up this rug. He runs over to me. He wraps me in that little rug, beats down the flames. It takes him two minutes. He burns himself and he saves my life. Wow. 1987, the lifesaver of the year for the state of Missouri was not some firefighter or some armor reservist uh, or EMT, The lifesaver of the year for the state of Missouri in 1987 was a 17-year-old, unprepared, (laughs) angry, (laughs) pimple-faced, typical 17-year-old boy who changed. Wow. Who changed. Uh, So that's the beginning of our stories. And and then, of course, goes onward from there. Wow. So, you know, obviously there was, um, you know, there's the the immediate aftermath of that. I'm, I'm sure they rush you to the hospital. There's kind of a waiting game going on. From what I understand, there was some time there where they didn't think you were going to pull through. You, you, they didn't think you were going to make it. Can you talk to me right. about that a little bit? So just to put some color on it, the 100% of my body was burned. Wow. And 87% of my body was third degree burns. And the way they figure out mortality in 2019 for a burn patient. So you get at home, you can do the math or pool side of that's yeah. where you are. Do the math. You're on the way to work. Do the math carefully. 100% plus age equals mortality. So mm. the math in 2019 is John O'Leary, if he shows up in a hospital, has 109% likelihood of dying today. Wow. Back in 1987, this truly, it's hopeless. It's hopeless. And yeah. yet nothing is wasted, as you so beautifully mm. know. Nothing is wasted. Uh, the very first person who came into my life that day outside of the medical team that's already feverishly working on me was my dad. Mm. And I, I, as a child, only thing I thought was my father's going to kill me. You know, all I could go back to is my dad is going to be furious. He's going to be furious. The wrath of my dad for blowing up his house. And the only thing my dad said to me that day were these words, John, look at me when I'm talking to you. Mm. Okay, There's doctors and nurses all around us. So I look up at my dad and then he says, I have never been so proud of anybody in my entire life and my little buddy. You look at me today. I am just proud to be your dad. Wow. And then my father goes, I love you. I love you. I love you. And if this doesn't remind you of the prodigal son, you're, you're not well read or you're not paying attention. I'm like, I'm experiencing the heavenly love on earth. It's not just a parable for me. Mm. And it's beginning to change how I interact with what happened to me. Mm. And my father's not alone. Right behind my dad comes my mom. So dad's walked out of the room. My mother walks in. She takes my right hand. And David, you're looking at it right mm. now, but my, my hands are warped, man. Mm. I lose my fingers. But back then, it's just, 
it's mush. It's, mm. it's scary. It's ugly. It's what you want to run away from in particular as a parent. And yet this lovely, lovely parent walks right to it. Mm. She takes my right hand in hers. She pats my bald head. And then she says, I love you. Mm. And now I realize like, dude, this is serious. Like, uh, this is just me ruining the house. This mm. is about me really being in trouble here for my life. And so I said to her, mama, am I going to die? Am I going to die? And when I, when I asked her, I assumed she would say, no, you're going to be fine. We're going to get you out of here today and we'll swing you through steak and shake on the way home. <laughs> but instead of giving me false hope, which is not what we are in the business of, she mm. gave me truth. And for me, she said, baby, you want to die. Your mm. choice, not mine. And I looked at her shocked and I said, mom, I don't want to die. Jeez, I don't want to die. I want to live. And her response was, good. Then, mm. baby, take the hand of God. You walk the journey with him and you fight, baby. You fight like you'd never fought before. Wow. And she wraps up by saying, your father and I will be with you every step along the way. But you've got to fight. you got to want this thing. Mm. And Davy, on January 17, I know you have your date. This is mine. Mm. On January 17, 1987, a little boy with no earthly chance of pulling through takes the hand of God, walks the journey with him and fought forward. And it was a five month street fight mm. just to get home. But uh, it began with the decision to take the hand of God and fight forward. Wow. Why, why do you think, I just kind of want to camp out here for a second. Why do you think our choice is so pivotal <laughs> when it comes to that? You know, I think a lot of people just kind of leave it up to happenstance. Right. Or even as Christians, we can call it, we can kind of, put a spiritual cloak around it and call it, well, you know, God's will or God's providence or just whatever. Right. But, but I see in scripture, even Jesus kind of putting the onus on people that he's about to perform a miracle with. Right. Hey, hey you know, do you want to be healed? Correct. <laughs> I mean, literally the same question right there in what John chapter five, do you want to be healed? Why do you think that choice is so pivotal in our journey? You know, why do we have to all come to this place and go, wait, I want this and, and I'm going right. to do whatever it takes to, to follow Jesus in this. So I, I, you know, I'm not as scripturally well-read and versed and as solid as you are in this area. I'm trying to get better every day. Mm. But my understanding is that free will is the greatest challenge and the greatest uh, opportunity we have every day, all day long. Mm. And it is one of the very first gifts that our creator, the author of life gave us, free choice, free and it is free. But the only way to fully embrace free is to do something with it. Mm. Frequently, we wait back for the gift. We wait back to be saved. We wait back for someone else to step forward and to make it right. Yeah. And yet God has reminded us throughout scripture, you quote it, you know, uh, pick up your mat. Mm. Do you want to be healed? Wash your face. They're almost always commands. So the yeah. miracle has taken. But in order for us to be fully fully rescued, if you will, fully saved, fully better. We have to move. We got to get up. We have to choose. Yeah. And so I think it just goes back to free will, which is one of the great challenges we face because we frequently choose the wrong thing. <laughs> but then we got a father who loves us so much. He's saying, yeah, you, you did. Mm. And I still love you. Come on home. Come on home. But, but pick up the mat. Do you want to be better? Do you wow. want to come home? The house awaits your arrival. The party awaits you coming in, mm. oldest son. Yeah. But you got to say yes. You got to choose it. Wow. 
That's so good. I mean, you find it so much in people's journeys that they get to this place where they have to, you know, choose. My my team's going to laugh at me right now when they when they hear me say this, but I've just finished reading Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. I, mm-hmm. I say they're going to laugh at me because I I feel like I'm referencing this over and over and over in our interviews, but it's such a good book and I and he zeroes in on this idea. I mean, he was a concentration camp survivor. He zeroes in on the idea of hey, you have a choice as to whether or not right you want to walk through this and he kind of zeroes in on it. It's not a hundred percent because there are some people who they just, they're out of, there's an, there's an element at which tragedy is out of our control. You know, we cannot control the things that happen to us, but we can control the things that we choose to do with what happens to us. Amen. And he noticed that there was a large percentage of the survivors. That was where they ended up getting to in their heart and in their mind and in their soul was, I'm going to, I'm going to choose to walk forward in this, no matter what may come of this, I'm going to choose to, to stand up and walk. Um, he and, did. And he also noticed that the vast majority of the survivors actually chose otherwise. Hmm. They chose to have lost a spouse, my friend, to lose a child, to lose a family member, to lose the freedom that they had been bound to for six years of concentration wow. camps and to remain bound by yesterday's grave garments for yeah. the rest of their lives. So Victor Frankl showed us a beautiful way to move forward, but he also told the story of many who chose otherwise. Wow. And that is a choice, whether you lost a wife and a child, uh, you lost your fingers as a kid, or you lost your job 13 years ago, and you were still bound by what happened to you, yeah. your lousy upbringing. And what Frankl reminds us, and he's not the first because Jesus Christ reminded us 1900 years earlier, that you get to choose what happens next. Yeah. Choose it. The, the resurrection's here, but you got to choose it now. Why wait any longer? That's so good. Which is why I don't want to camp too much on your story, right? You know, from nine years old, because you've got so much else of your life that you've got so much wisdom that you can share with us. But can you talk to me just briefly about that journey and the choice that you had to make to kind of come to a quote unquote recovery? But most importantly, would you lean in on what did this do? I mean, you you mentioned about the idea of how your parents love really, Mm. it, it, it was transformative for you in terms of your faith and how you approached this situation now. Talk to me about that transformation of your faith in this healing process. Man, it's it's uh, continuing. So I am <laughs> of course for, 33 yeah. years out, still trying to make sense out of what happened to me as a kid, but also it makes sense of what happened to me last night at dinner. Yeah. So like it, it is a, a constant journey. Each and every one of us are on together if we're paying attention mm. to it. The choice we made though, as a family going through that experience, I think the most important thing we may have done back then, in addition to leaning into our faith, was to lean completely and fully into one another. Mm. Yes, we were going to fight. And yes, we were going to pray. And yes, we were going to like, yeah, we're going to dream about about tomorrow. We're going to be independently minded. Yes. And we realized how broken we are. Mm. When you have no skin on your body, literally, when your fingers are being amputated, when you have no control over what time the nurses come to do the bandage change, what time they come to do the physical therapy, when they're going to draw your blood, they can't find a vein, so they take it from your toes, Mm -hmm. when they're going to start the feeding tube to give you lunch. Like, I got no control over anything. And that can either be a hopeless situation or one that is packed with joy and hope. So what we were able to do as a family is to take away the onus of saying, it has to be all about me. Mm. And how I take my next step behind the next and then in front of the next and climb the next mountain and then the next all by me. And to recognize you can do very little by yourself. But together with faith interwined in our lives, we we collectively can move mountains. And so for me, one of the great individuals who showed up in my life outside of 
a litany of individuals, of an army of soldiers who served us, was the announcer for the, the St. Louis Cardinals. He mm-hmm. was um, a hero of mine. His name was Jack Buck. <laughs> I was a huge baseball fan as a kid. And he was the voice that I listened to every single night as a kid. Mm. Like it was his voice. And when I first got burns, they brought me in, they tied me down to the bed like you're on a cross. So I can't move my arms or my legs. My lungs were burned, so I can't breathe. And my eyes were swollen shut. So for the first two months of recovery, I'm in that bed, I'm in that body, but I can't interact with the world around me. Mm. I'm just there, but I'm fully aware. I hear everything. And into my room, the day after I'm burned, January 18th was the first day Jack Buck entered, comes this announcer. He sits down next to me. We had never met physically before, but I'd heard his voice for the, the nine years mm-hmm. leading up to this moment. I knew his voice. We could plan that. That mm-hmm. one will preach, man. I knew his voice. <laughs> and his voice on my bedside says to me, kid, wake up, wake up. Wow. You are going to live. You are going to survive. And when you get out of here, we are going to celebrate. We'll call it John O'Leary Day at the ballpark. Hmm. And then he says, kid, are you listening? And I nod my head as best I can. And then he says, keep fighting. Hmm. And Davey, he walked out of that room that day after a nine second visit and he changed a little boy's life in doing so. He like, I was forever changed forever. Wow. He was told that I was going to die when he left. And the amazing, beautiful thing about this humble servant is he went home that night. He journaled and prayed on the question, what more can I do? And the following day, this guy shows back up into a hopeless situation, into the life of a little nobody named John O'Leary. He sits with me again and he says, kid, wake up. You are going to live. You are going to survive. Keep fighting. Mm. John O'Leary Day at the ballpark. And those visits continue daily for five months. And if you don't think encouragement wow. matters in life, whether you're going through a storm or you just finished weathering one, yeah. uh, you don't know the human heart. The, the, wow. the, there are a lot of reasons why I'm alive today, I believe. But I can't think of a better, <laughs> a better one right now than the love, the guidance, the hope, the dream, mm. the pursuit of tomorrow that Jack Buck put in front of me. And the beauty, he met me at the well. He like met me right where I was with the Mm. one thing that might inspire me to take the next step forward, baseball. Wow. Friends, Carlos Whitaker is back on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. That's right. We brought back one of our favorites, Carlos Whitaker, for our January bonus episode this month to talk about healing and prayer, and it is powerful. Carlos was on our podcast in the early days on episodes 9 and 10, so if you haven't heard those episodes, make sure to go back and listen to those. And to hear this new bonus episode and all of our other previous bonus episodes, head over to nothingiswasted.com partners and make a recurring monthly tax-deductible donation of $20 a month or more and begin accessing all the bonus content we have made available to you. If you're hesitant about committing $20 a month, you can start a seven-day free trial to preview the bonus content we have under our partner program. So head over to nothingiswasted.com slash partners and start accessing this amazing content now. Here's a preview of my conversation with Carlos. My daughter, Sohela, just has the highest pain tolerance of any human being I know. Mm. Like she has suffered a lot in her life with just horrible skin conditions and stuff. So to see her in this much pain, 
obviously concerned me. So yeah. we sprint to the ER and um, actually I haven't shared this this part of the story yet, but they you know, put her on a lot of pain meds. They start doing the tests. They take her CT scan. Uh, when they come back from the CT scan, they're like, yeah, we actually see, um, it looks like that she has pneumonia. And mm. so you'll probably be here a couple of days and then you'll go home. And so they said, these are the initial CT results. And so we were like, oh, okay. And, you know, we all kind of felt lightness, like, oh, well, we found it. You know, we found what it yeah. is. Um, and so there's about 15 minutes of us feeling like just the weight of the world fall off our shoulders. Like, yeah. okay, she has pneumonia. We'll be in the hospital for a couple of days, antibiotics, then we'll go home. And then about 15 minutes later, that same ER doctor comes in with a completely different demeanor, disposition, mm. and actually sits down. Uh, if I can remember, or maybe even squats down and starts talking in a different tone saying, well, we've got the second CT scan results back um, and we're sorry, but actually it doesn't look like a pneumonia anymore. It looks like she has a mass in her lungs. You know, recently I've been pondering on this idea, especially because we we talked to a lot of people with some some really heavy stories, and some really they've they're gone through some hard times, and sometimes it can feel heavy. You know, and I'm sure you experience the same thing as a chaplain in the hospital as you're dealing with people who are seemingly facing their death. You come home every single day. I'm sure it felt heavy, but to what de degree do you think that experience um, with uh, Jack Buck is that what what is it? Jack mm -hmm. Buck? To, to what degree do you think that experience has really helped to fuel you the idea of encouragement in hopeless situations? Right. How has that helped to fuel you in all the things that you're doing now, even as you're approaching, I mean, really difficult obstacles, uh, you know, in, in helping people be encouraged, hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I guess my question is, what keeps you, what keeps you going in that? And did that have something to do with it? It's part of it. There, uh, there were three things I think that really motivated me at different times in my life, mm -hmm. like dramatically. One was a dream that my grandparents, I was shooting baskets and they came by to say goodbye to me. I, I loved them. I lost them both. But they came by to say goodbye. And I, I remember shooting a basket. I shoot underhand because I don't have fingers. I can't have, <laughs> remove my arms, but I'm in my dream. I'm shooting underhand. I, I kind of like wave half-heartedly goodbye. And they walked down the street. And then I'm like, well, bye. And they, they don't turn around. And I'm like, bye. And they can't hear me anymore. And I realized in this dream, I mean, I, this is 15 years ago. Like mm. it really woke me up to like, man, life is fleeting. Mm. The people you got today may not be here tomorrow. And so that changed the way I interacted with my grandparents while they were alive, but also my parents, my mm. spouse, my children. I don't take my kids for granted. I don't take school projects for granted. I soak it up because I realized, man, this moment is a gift. It is a gift. So that was one moment that really woke me up to how fragile life is. I know it's kind of lame. Mm. It's just a little dream, but it was an, an inflection point. It really yeah, woke right. me. Secondly, uh, I, I was in church one time and then the preacher was talking about uh, from those who have received much, much, much as expected. Mm. And it was the story of the talents and it shows up twice in scripture. And I realized, man, I'm, I'm an upper middle class guy from the Midwest with a crazy story so many talents, so much ability to influence, and I'm doing nothing with it. Mm. I'm 25. I'm soaking up my life. It's all about me. It's all about the next buzz, the next party, the next business opportunity that I can get from me. 
And if I die today, am I doing anything with my talents? Am I embarrassed when I come face to face with my author, mm. with the creator of life of saying, look what you gave me, look what I'm giving you back. So I think we're saved through faith, but I think God demands works. Mm. He wants to see some action through our lives. And I wasn't doing anything if I'm being really transparent on this, on this wow. podcast. Yeah. So that really lit me up for saying, gosh, what more could I do? And it led to chaplaincy, eventually mm. led for me running a business that was all about money into a business that's all about life, which is wow. what I'm doing today. But it, it was that, that sermon. It was that reality of coming face to face with how underutilized my talents were. Yeah. And as a kid, back then, I thought I had one talent. But even the guy with one talent is expected to do something with it. Mm -hmm. And I was burying mine. So that was a wake-up call. And then the third piece, it goes back to your question, the Jack Buck piece. Every night of Jack's life, he asked a question. And the question was, what more can I do? Mm. And, and for Jack Buck, it led to a Hall of Fame career. Like he became a Hall of Famer. But anywhere I speak in the Midwest today, someone comes up afterwards and they tell me their Jack Buck story. Mm. How when they were in jail, Jack Buck came by how when their grandmother was dying, some old guy named Jack Buck came by the retirement community and visited the, mo the mother and the impact that made on the entire family. Mm. Waitresses will tell me how he picked up tabs all the time for people. He held doors open. This isn't big monumental stuff. Wow. And yet 20 years after his death, people are telling me about the impact he made on them. And so that, how did he do it? It was that question. Wow. What more can I do? It's a question I've been asking every night of my life for the last seven years, and it may have saved my marriage. I think it lights me up in my faith. It makes me a better dad. It has allowed us at our firm, our business is called Live Inspired. Mm. It has allowed us to create a podcast, a Live Inspired podcast, to write a book called On Fire, write another one called In All, give the profits away to charity, make mm. a difference in the community, write love letters, visit kids in hospitals, serve, man, because yeah. it's not about you. And how do, how do I get there? Easy. It's easy. What more can I do? Mm. Ask nightly next to my toothbrush. It ensures that tomorrow I'll do one thing different that I would not have done had I not asked that question. And I steal that question shamelessly from Jack Buck. And I beg your listeners not to leave this podcast thinking John's got a great story mm. or wow, I can't believe he survived being burned so bad. Like that, that's, that's just the, the, the flavor on top. That's mm -hmm. my hook to be in front of you today. I think the real story is that your life is sacred. God's not done with you yet and more is expected. Mm. So how do you live into all of that? Man, what more can I do? Wow. Ask it nightly, watch what happens and consider starting at home. It mm. may not be starting an orphanage or going to Africa and bringing a couple kids home with you. It might be to talk about that addiction. Mm. It might be to be very careful with those websites you're visiting. It might be to say the agonizing words to a spouse, I'm sorry, or even more painful, I forgive you. It, it could be a whole lot of little things, but little things done over time aren't little at all. Yeah. So for me, that is a, it's a turning point in my day. And I think it's a turning point in my life to have been leveraging that question for seven years. Wow. That's so good. What more can I do? <laughs> I'm going to write that down in my journal. I'm going to look at it because that's transformative, man. It really is. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that even from the time that you're 10, 11, 12 years old, as you're beginning to recover from this all the way up to 25 years old, as you really have this like crazy moment where you're going, wait, I'm, I'm living for myself. I'm going to start, you know, living for something bigger than myself and living for God's kingdom and, um, and, and building something that would advance the kingdom of God all the way up to today. You've experienced a lot of challenges that in some ways, maybe they don't cause the, they, maybe they don't overshadow the first challenge that you faced, 
Mm. But I think sometimes we, you know, especially when stories like you and I, where we have these, this massive tragedy that happens that people are like, oh my gosh, that like, that's, that's big. Sometimes we think, okay, well, that was my, that was my thing. That was my challenge that I had to overcome. But we start experiencing there's more challenges in life that continue to grow our character. From the time that you're nine to today, what are some other major challenges that you have faced as you have tried to um, pick up the pieces and begin to find purpose in your pain? You know, what kinds of obstacles have, have come your way? Because I don't want the listener to think, okay, cool, you just get through this one thing and then boom, everything's going to just unfold for you. And that's, that's not the case. Nice. There's, life is just this series of challenges that we're continually, met, you know, we have to face and meet with the same kind of principles. So I'll, I'll begin physically and then I'll step into what I think most of us care about, which, which is much more emotional mm-hmm. or relational or spiritual. If right. you get down to the core of it all. But the physical is easy stuff to call out. So you, you are looking at my hands mm-hmm. and as busted up and damaged goods as they may appear to you, what you don't see is the part of my body that's much more damaged. Mm. My, I'm burned third degree, which means in parts of my body down to the bone. Wow. And if people hear this story and they think, well, gosh, you, you got out of the hospital, man. I'm still in my hospital. I'm mm. still stuck in the graveyard. I, w- I would remind you, I'm out of the hospital, but I'm looking at that every single day in the mirror. I'm feeling it mm. every single day. I'm breathing. It hurts to be alive physically. And yet I'm not going to be tethered to that much longer. Mm. And so um, I try to use my pain not to validate me being a victim to what happened yesterday, mm. but to me becoming more compassionate more passionate, more faithful, and more grateful for what I got. Wow. Like for me, when I I feel pain, which is almost in every moment, I could be so angry and home taking medicine, self-medicating and saying, God, why me? Mm. Why me? And none of you listeners and none of my family members would blame me. I don't think. It's very reasonable. Or I could say, God, why me? Seriously, why did you let a little boy walk out of that hospital? Hmm. Why do you let a guy find a girl who is so stunning inside and out, Mm -hmm. who said yes when he he said, will you marry me? Mm -hmm. Who somehow has given this man four babies that he gets to love and to raise and encourage forward in their life. Mm -hmm. Why me? And why have you given me a story that is so brutally agonizing that people have to pay attention to it? And then through that platform that you've not given me, I have an opportunity to love people with where they are in their life. Because as people hear my story or they read my book or they listen to my podcast, what they realize is John's story has nothing at all to do with fire <laughs> or being burned. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. It has everything to do with that next step forward. Yeah. It's not about the explosion. It's what we do afterwards. It's not about missing your fingers. It's what you're doing with what you got left. Mm. And so for me, it's, it's, uh, it's just an excuse to talk life with people. Yeah. And I get to leverage this fire story to do it. So that, that's one piece. The other side is this. As I've journeyed forward within life, I recognize because of my own physical challenges that people will open up with me on their emotional ones. Mm. And they almost always begin with this, Davey, and I'm sure you hear it all the time. Mm. John, it's not like your story, but yeah. <laughs> my wife was murdered <laughs> and we lost her yep. child. Yep, all the and time. And then they tell me all about this, this moment. Yeah. They tell me about Parkinson's. They tell me about suicide. They tell me about bankruptcy. Right. They tell me about bipolar. They tell me about it all. And so what you know in life to be true is, yeah, a lot of us have physical scars. Yeah. But all of us, every one of us have emotional bruising. That's right. And I think that is the more painful stuff to work through. Yeah. Because I'm either ignored for my scars, people look away, or actually respected and loved because of it. Mm. But when you are carrying a cross that is invisible, no mm. one knows that you lost your wife. No one knows you lost an unborn child. Like no one knows it. Right. And so they ignore you. Or they think, dude, it's been a year. 
It, it's right. about time to get on. And they have no idea the weight of that cross, no mm. idea. And so I'm, I feel incredibly blessed. My face was saved, but my body wasn't. So people can look into my, my in quotes, normal face and love me with where I am. Mm. But they also feel vulnerable enough to share the depth of their stories and find a guy seated across from them that can love them for who they are. Mm. Wow. What would you say to somebody who um, they're desiring to like to turn their their personal story around to help other people, but you know maybe they're at the very the infant stage of that where they're going, okay, what does that look like? How do I Correct. how do I do that? Do I I don't just all of a sudden step up on a platform and share my story with everybody? All right. How how do we bring this down to the everyday person who's got some kind of story of hardship or heartache, and right. how do how do they turn this around to help other people. I hear you, John. I want to do that, but I haven't been given the opportunity yeah, to go and do that. What would you say to that person? Uh, so I would answer through quickly sharing a story. I have a board member of our organization and on February, I think it's 23rd, his son took his own life. Mm. And so this dear friend, this believer, this phenomenal, he's as good a man as I know. And his son was as good a kid as I've ever met ever met just a great kid on fire for life and then right and then mm. and then this thing happens and so the second time he and I connected so now it's about a month afterwards he was seated across from me just just dying inside this mm -hmm. is the father who was just broken talking about beginning a charity talking about helping wanting to help other people get their lives together talking about how do you get suicide more mm. out there and I said to him friend can I just encourage you not to do that yet can I really encourage you um, to, to work through this mm -hmm. and to grieve and to be angry and to punch holes in drywall and to scream up at God, where were you for me? Yeah. Where were you? For, and be yep. mad about yep. it, rightly so, rightly so. And then to patiently, because it's going to take patience. It may take decades of patience. Mm -hmm. Patiently await, faithfully await that answer. And then when we get that answer, then we can decide, okay, so what not-for-profit can we start? How do we make a difference through Facebook communities? How do we get the story out there to others? If you are trying to do this, the word you use, I love it, is infancy. Mm. I think it might be too soon. I think you got to get out of the diapers. You got to learn how to put your, pull yourself out by the little table. You got to let go of the table, walk a few steps, fall down, get bruised, come back to the table, pull yourself back up, go a few more steps, and then eventually recognize when God is calling you to use this tragic terrible story that he intended for good, but we can't yet know what is intended for good until we give it a little bit of time to percolate yeah. and to make itself clear. In my own story, Davey, I, I waited 17 years before I told anybody what happened to me. Wow. It wasn't an overnight success. I wasn't telling friends in college. I wasn't telling roommates. I didn't tell a soul until after that turning point at age 26. Mm -hmm. My mom and dad wrote a little a pamphlet, basically a little book and through the story of their journey, what they lost and where they found God, I found him too. Mm. And that's when I started to share the story. And that's when I started to go gangbusters. But we waited 17 years. So I can't give people the timing. Yeah, uh, God's going to show up right on time, but not a moment early. Yeah, And I would just encourage people, don't force that, that reckoning. Yeah. So I, I would fight with that grief. I would be angry. I would have my fists clenched for a while. And as I'm fighting, I would also be open to how God wants to use this moment for something bigger than I can deal with today. Wow. Wow. You're, you're um, right in the middle of this place where you're, well, let me say it this way. Andy Stanley talks about the idea of choosing to cheat, 
I'm sure you've heard this idea, right? <laughs> I love any seamless. I know. Yes. <laughs> Where you're going to either, you know, you're going to cheat something. You're going to cheat your business or you're going to cheat your family. But you get the opportunity to choose to cheat. Every time I'm sitting in front of somebody who, um, you, John, you know, I don't know all the intricacies of your life. I, you know, I know there's been a lot of struggles, a lot of hardships, a lot of things that you've had to work through, even probably as you're trying to formulate principles for your family and operating and all of that stuff, right? There's so much underneath the surface. But from what I'm, from what I'm witnessing you and, and what, what I'm seeing just exude out of you is you have this really great family, not a perfect family, but really great family who feels invested in, poured into, loved, cared for. And then you also have this mission, this purpose, this this right. this calling that you're carrying out. How do you walk that tension mm. in being really successful at what you're doing and responding to and stewarding the call that God has given you and stewarding the call to be a father and stewarding the call to be a husband? Right. How do you meet those things in tension? What are some principles that you've kind of learned along the way? This may not be for the benefit of the listener. This may just be for my benefit. <laughs> but if we're sitting out having coffee, that's what I would ask you right now. I would say it is for the benefit of anyone who is not fully retired at this mm. point in their life. And for those who are, maybe they need to sit up and listen to the answer even more so. So yeah. my secret to success, if you will, in addition to faithfulness, in addition to doing first thing first, and in addition to blocking time and all these other things that you can learn through a whole lot of other places that you can uh, learn about prioritizing your life is <clears throat> when I'm on your podcast, my phone is off. Mm. My wife, who I literally kissed goodbye right before you called me, like moments before, she's she works in my office from time to time. I kissed her goodbye and now she's not in my mind. I'm only focused on you. Mm. When I'm speaking to audiences, whether it's an audience of eight or an audience of 26,000, I'm there. Yeah. When I'm doing a podcast, I'm there. When I'm writing, I'm there. My phone is off. And when I'm home, you can't get me. Social media can't find me. Clients who want to pay me a lot of money, this you can't find me. I'm home. Mm. And so I think most of us claim balance and we don't do it well. And so then what happens is we leave home after we kick the dog thinking, <laughs> I am so behind at work. So we drop off the kids because we're behind at work. We pull into the office and we think, my gosh, I probably shouldn't have cursed at my kids as they got out of the car. Mm. I probably shouldn't have kicked the dog. And I probably should have been a little bit more engaged when I finally had that time to be with them last night at dinner. So then you spend the first majority of your day thinking about how bad things are at home, which is keeping you away from fully engaging at work. Wow. I'm working on a book right now. And the idea is how do you be where you are when you're there? Wow. And I don't know if anyone who is this more than kids. So I'm teaching people as in the, in the book called In Awe yeah. about how, how, do you, how do you do this in your own walk? Well, here's what kids do. This is their secret. When they are doing science, they're doing science. Hmm. They're really only doing science. And then the bell rings and they are gone, <laughs> dude. They are, go they are outside. They are getting sweaty. If you're bored right now, by the way, listener, go outside to any school, listen to what's happening at recess, and you are going to hear pure joy. James mm. would love them. James one, two, <laughs> pure joy. They, they are lit up. And then you're going to hear a bell ring after 10 to 20 minutes. And those little ones are going to laugh their way all the way inside. They're going to wipe their sweat. They're going to sit down and go back to work. Mm. The bell's going to ring. They're going to go have lunch. They're not going to multitask. They're not going to talk about how bad recess was. They're going to be where they were, yeah. where they are when they're there. And so I beg you business leaders and you family leaders and you pastors and podcasters, Davey, <laughs> when you're doing something, do it with everything you got, realizing mm. that St. Peter was a father. <laughs> mm. He was a husband. 
And when he was at home with the child on his knee, he probably was a great dad. Mm. He was a great fisherman. He went back to work for a while. But then when he was called to ministry, he left it behind and he worked. Yeah. He worked. And so I just encourage people to be where they are when they're there. Balance is a difficult thing to achieve. Yeah. But I think kids can tell when you're present and when you're not. And a final thing I'll share around this is I had had work on my mind not long ago. And my six-year-old was behind me. She's strapped into one of those three-point harnessing mm-hmm. belts. And, you know, it's like a NASCAR system. She can't move at all. And she's telling me a story. And I'm kind of thinking about my own deal. I'm thinking mm-hmm. about a book or a podcast guest. And then I hear her say, Daddy, you're not listening to me. Like, she's in my car behind me. <laughs> I'm driving. And yet in the little mirror, she can see I'm not with her. Yeah. She knows and they know and work knows and your dog knows and your father in heaven knows. So when you are somewhere, be there. And I think the time that you are there with that person will be way more fruitful. So I'm there with them. But when I'm gone, I I work and I don't apologize for uh, trying to do mission work. Wow, man. John, this has been incredible. I want to ask you one more thing before we, before we sign off on, on this interview, but what, what are you most excited about right now? What is, what's the thing that's got your gears turning? I know you just said you're writing a book as well, but, right. but what are the things that, in, you know, as you're looking forward to that you're just like down the, man, this is just exciting me. This is why I'm getting up every single day. This is what's making me salivate at the mouth right now. So I, I, I do my work so my kids can see an example of what joy looks like. Mm. And I, I think they, we confuse happiness. We confuse ice cream cones and high-end cell phone packages and big screen TVs and fancy cars yeah. and lots of girls or any likes online, whatever it is with joy, yeah. with, with significance and success. I, I want my kids to see that up close and personal when their daddy's in, in the room with them. So that's why I'm as motivated as I am to do what I'm doing. The reality is at the level that we built in quotes, this business, we could cruise, we could cheat all the way to the finish Mm. line at this point. We could pretty easily do that. And yet I want to grow. I want to prosper. I I want to uh, uh, harness the possibility that remains in front of us to impact and influence more lives. So I'm I'm in growth mode at home. I want to be a way better husband to my wife in 2020 and beyond. Mm. We have had 15 great years and I expect her to say 16 was our best. Mm -hmm. And if I don't do that, I failed her. Yeah. So I'm highly motivated to do that. Uh, in our business, we have a great speaking platform. I've got a podcast that I love. We've mm-hmm. got a book called On Fire. It's a number one national bestseller. We've got a little book called In All that comes out early next year. I'm fired up about it. And maybe I'm most fired up that we're going to give all the profits from that book into organizations that are making a difference one mm-hmm. life at a time. And th- now we're starting to think, so, okay, if that's part of our deal, how do we get a lot more money there yeah. to touch a lot more lives? And then to utilize this huge database of clients that we got, this mm. huge following that are saying, what, what is John O'Leary up to today to take all these individuals, all this dollars, all this resource and plug them to make, not curse the problems right. or curse the storm, but to become part of the solution. And so I, I am animated and fired up to come up with ways to serve in a community and to multiply our efforts. Wow. So the, the, all the work that we're doing right now is to take the best of what we've done to this point and then to fuel it toward a community that I know is longing for it. Mm. Both the community that will receive our love directly, but also the community that is living today in darkness. Mm. 94% of news stories are negative and that's before you look in the mirror. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like yep, life is hard if we see through that lens. And I want to paint the lens of truth as an opportunity that people have to step into that Mm. mirror, step into their experiences of yesterday and step into the possibility of tomorrow. 
That's so great. I mean, I'm sitting here talking to you and I'm like, sitting in the back of my mind, I'm like, does this guy ever get discouraged? Does he ever get <laughs> forlorn at all? What, what if someone's right. asking that question? John, do you ever get discouraged? What do you do if Man, you get discouraged? To be really honest with you, I had two sores in my stomach today. Sores mm. mean there's a part of your body that is so irritated that it's going to not only cause fever, it will... Um, it's an ugly sore. I mean, everything mm. that goes with the sore, and I'm not going to give out all, all the medical yeah. details. It, it's painful. It hurts. It's embarrassing. And believe it or not, after 32 years, it gets a little old. Mm. And that's before I go downstairs and, and the kids are a mess. Mm. And my wife's griping about something and there's traffic outside and I have problems with Wi-Fi and life. Mm. And my dad's got Parkinson's disease and I'm not sure what to do in that situation. And one of my coworkers' mothers has dementia and we're trying to figure this thing out. So do I get discouraged? Yes. When I read about your story and what you've been through, and I realize, man, why is the world so broken? Mm -hmm. How could someone take the life of a beautiful lady and a child? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I get a little discouraged and I get a little bit mad. And then I realize, okay, do you want to live there, John? Mm -hmm. Do you want to live in that sore? Do you want to live in that cynicism? Do you want to live in Parkinson's and be weighed down by it, murder and be weighed down by that? Or do you want to say, God, you are going to use this in ways I cannot fathom, but I'm open to listening to how you want to use it today. Wow. And if I can be a person that helps you do so, I'm in. I'm all in. Wow. And so I, uh, I get discouraged all the time, all the time, man, but I don't live in discouragement. Wow. That's good. That's so good. John, this has been awesome, man. Where, where can our listeners, uh, hear more from you? I know you mentioned a couple things, the podcast, but how can we follow all the things that you're doing and, and get more connected with John O'Leary's life? So if you, if you Google John O'Leary, that ought to take you probably to our main place. But, uh, if you go to johnolearyinspires.com, that's the mothership. Mm. For those who listen to podcasts, uh, I'm at Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Mm. And then we are, of course, all over social media. The book is called On Fire. When I, you know, I'm looking at a picture of it right now, actually. When they first published the book, they, they had a picture of me on the front of a Davy. And uh, I was seated on the front of this book like this. <laughs> like arms crossed, uh. smugly smirking toward the, the reader, I guess. And then I sent back a note to the publisher. And I'm like, did you guys read this book? Because it had nothing to do with the author yeah. and nothing to do with smugness and nothing to do yeah. with self-assuredness. It's the story of as broken down a guy as you will ever meet mm. saying yes to God, yes to his parents, yes to his brother stepping forward, yes to Jack Buck, yes to Jewish people in Israel planting trees on mm. his behalf, like yes to life. Wow. And in saying yes to life, what can happen next? And so the book does not have a picture of me on the front of it. It has letters that say on fire. They're kind of red, orange, smoky, but mm. they're made out of mirrors. And the idea is that the reader will see within the book themselves oh, wow. and the opportunity they have daily to make a difference in the world beyond. That's so cool. So that th those are some places they can stay in touch through the book, through the podcast, and through yeah. our primary website. Oh, man. Well, man, this has just been an honor and an inspiration to be able to have a conversation with you. And so thank you so much for joining me, man. David, I, I love what you're doing. And I love the fact that you you continue to do it in spite of what you've been through, or maybe mm. you do it because of what you've been mm. through. So it's incredibly inspiring, not only for me, but for everybody else following along. Mm. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Davey, what an incredible episode with John. I mean, I'm telling I, you. I think the thing that really stuck out to me was his question of uh, what else can I do? 
And yeah. that just feeds to my Enneagram eight soul of just like, <laughs> As my three. Let, give me, yeah, and you're three, you're achieving. Uh, and so, but I think it's so good to have eyes and um, to see the needs. And then, yeah. you know, and I feel like it goes in, it fits very nicely for my last episode of hmm. just having the space to say, okay, what's the next thing that the Lord wants me to do? Right. And, and so anyway, I love this episode. It was so good. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, and I would challenge everybody too, you know, it's it's the end of January as you're listening to this and as we release this, but it's not too late to begin thinking about what's the outlook of your 2020, you know, how mm-hmm. can you get some good, clear vision? I mean, there's so many, there's so many cool metaphors with this, this year, 2020, when you think about 2020 vision and having a vision mm-hmm. for your life, a vision for your family, thinking about, you know, what does that look like to, um, to clear that vision by keeping your eyes on the Lord? and getting rid of all of the different things that are detracting from that. And so I would just challenge everybody, hey, you know, take a cue from from the McIsaac family, be encouraged and be emboldened by this to go, okay, what is? how do I make some space in my life for God to move? And to, uh, for this, for whatever the new thing is, the next thing is that God is calling me to do, what more can I do for the Lord? Um, yeah. Mel, I don't, you got some big shoes, like they're, they're like, <laughs> We're not. We're gonna have trouble filling these. Like, oh, I don't know what size man. shoe you wear, but it's gonna be. <laughs> you know, it's gonna be tough. I, I'm excited for whoever gets to co-host with you. I mean, the fact that we don't know who it is. Like, I love a good suspense, <laughs> and this is awesome. But I, I just, I'm so excited for them oh. to get to know you and Christy, and and just to continue to further this ministry on because what you guys mm. do, what you guys are doing, is so meaningful and it's so needed, and the yeah. impact that you're making. Um, is just, it's going to have, it is having such eternal implications. And, and so just know that I love you guys. Um, we love and, you too, Mel. And you've played such a vital role in this. You have, I need you to know that you've played such a vital role in this. Um, it's, it's been, it's been tremendous. And uh, where, whatever you touch is going to have so much um, impact as well. And so I, I'm, I'm jealous for, also excited for these families that you guys are going to be ministering to right there on your home front as you're creating space in your life. Well, you haven't seen the last of me. I mean, obviously oh, I Christy has been a friend for, you know, a decade and a half. Of course. And now I know you more. <laughs> and so anyway, my, I might just like slither my way back into uh, an episode or something, you know, just, you anytime. know. Yeah. <laughs> anytime. Yeah. Um, oh, anytime. But man. Uh, I, I will say that if you have not listened to Sleeping at Last, you need to check out his music. That's it's right. Just, it's so good. We we put it on at our house and we all enjoy it. I know you will too. Um, it's just really good stuff. And you can find his music anywhere that music can be streamed. Um, mm. For us, it's Alexa, but you know, you could find it anywhere. <laughs> uh, Alexa, play Sleeping at Last. So anyway, uh, next week, Rebecca Lyons is going to be on the show. Mm. And um, I may not be the co-host for that one, but I'm going to be listening to it and I'm going to be mentioning you in my Instagram stories. I know, I know. And Rebecca is going to be talking about all kinds of anxiety and um, her struggle with, you know, burnout and stuff. And so this is going to be a really, you got to listen to this episode. It's going to be awesome. So before we uh, sign off and as we're saying bye to Mel one final time, at least for now, for now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We want you guys to make sure that you listen to this clip from our interview of next week's episode with Rebecca Lyons.
So nine years ago, I had my first panic attack. We'd moved to Manhattan four months prior with our three kids. They were in elementary school at the time. And my youngest was starting kindergarten. And so I was trying to rediscover who I was mm. after that proverbial decade of diapers and Cheerios. And poop. <laughs> I was like, where'd she go? Is she still in there? And so I started taking night classes down in Union Square with kids half my age, basically at Parsons School of Design. And I had a history in fashion and interiors and just liked that stuff. So I was like, let's explore that. Mm. And then four months into my time, I have a panic attack on a flight from Atlanta back to LaGuardia at midnight. And something rose in me. I didn't have language for it. I wouldn't have called it panic disorder that I was entering for the next year. But just something overcame me. My heart is beating out of my chest. I feel like I'm being held at gunpoint. And mm. the, the irrational thought on the plane is if I don't escape, I'll die. There's this claustrophobic fear of being trapped. Mm. And so I barrel towards the galley while everyone else is doubling down on their seatbelts. And I'm just running as we're trying to land. And I've just fallen the fetal position in the galley and just said, panic, panic, panic. And what began that day continued in, um, let's see, elevators, subways, uh, <laughs> crowds, you name it. It was just wow. um, all of a sudden everything I was facing in New York, I had to deal with always feeling trapped. 